You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Chapter of the book of Exodus. And for those of you who are guests this morning, let me say that for the past several months, we have been on our own Exodus experience as we've been studying this incredible book. And there's so much in the book of Exodus, we're not uh, pausing at every bend, but we do want to receive from it what God has for our church family and for our lives during this particular stage of our journey. Now, we have seen the children of Israel as God has brought them out of Egypt. Those many, many years, 400 years, really more than that, 440 years of slavery and bondage. And now God has brought them out, that wonderful night, the Passover night, a picture of salvation delivered by the blood of the Lamb. And then last week we saw how you can sever the grip of a sinful past when God finally and completely did away with the Egyptian army that was hounding the Israelites as they made their way into the wilderness on their way to Canaan. Now they have crossed the Red Sea. They are on the other side, and they have a big trip ahead of them. And let me just say to you that uh, all of us have a big trip in, ahead of us. As a matter of fact, you, you may say, well, look, I'm an older person, and I can't imagine living much longer. How much of a trip could it be? Well, let me remind you that Moses, their leader, was 80 years of age at this time. And so for all of us between now and when we meet Jesus, either in death time or whether he comes in the air, we want to successfully do all those things that God puts before us. And so this morning, I want to speak on this subject, life 101, we're going to go back to college this morning, Life 101, Basic Training for the Big Trip. That is the title of the message this morning. Life 101, Basic Training for the Big Trip. And there are some things that I believe God would want every one of us to understand as we set out on this journey with Him. By the way, some of you may have known the Lord Jesus for many, many years. And yet you would confess this morning that in your life there are specific areas of failure, besetting sin, that it has not been this exhilarating adventure that you thought the Christian life was supposed to be. It could be that you never enrolled in Life 101. It could be that you never stopped long enough to get the basic training for the big trip. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, basic training for the big trip. Will you stand with me as we read together aloud from the 15th chapter of Exodus, beginning with verse 22. Look at the words up on the screen. That'll be the text that we will read aloud together, all right? And let's begin now with verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. 
and said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Basic training for the big trip. Let's pray together. Father, I pray trusting that as we open our hearts to you during these next few moments, that into our hearts will be sown this wonderful, precious seed of the inerrant, the infallible, the inspired word which comes from you. And Father, I pray that it will grow up within us, that it will be nurtured, and that it will abound unto life eternal. Father, I pray this morning that you will unravel for us some things which may have been mysteries. Lord, the reasons for failure before besetting sin, the reasons for discouragement and disappointment. And Father, show us how we can be victorious as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, there are those here this morning who do not know Christ as Savior, have never believed in Him, trusting Him as Lord of their lives, do not know what it's like to have forgiveness of sin and cleansing and abundant and eternal life. Oh, Father, I pray that before this service is over, their heart will open and they will embrace Jesus and trust Him as Savior and Lord. And I pray these things in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? Over in Europe, there is a beautiful chain of mountains, the Alps, which border several countries. And of course, within that Alpine range of mountains, there are many uh, names with which you would be very familiar, I'm sure, if I were to call them out one at a time. Some in one country, some, for instance, in Switzerland. Then there's the French Alps. And, uh, you know, they're just beautiful mountains. My wife and I, for uh, several years early in our marriage, had the privilege of, of going to that area uh, each year. And we were so blessed. We have some of our fondest memories of times we have spent in the Swiss Alps. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, some of the not only the fondest memories, some of our most hilarious adventures took place in the Swiss Alps. Many people in the summertime uh, find a guide in some of the small towns at the base of those mountains who will take them to one of the mountain tops from which they can view just incredible beauty. Uh, sometimes the trips take longer than one day, but most of them are day trips. You go up in the morning and come down in the evening. At any rate, before the guide takes people on a journey, he usually sits them down either in a room or out on the side of that mountain, and he says, look, before we begin, there's some things that you need to know. You need to know how we're going to travel. You need to know how long it's going to take. You need to know some of the tests you're going to face. You need to know the equipment that we've given you. You need to know how to use the equipment that we've given you. And you need to know a little about, about me as your guide because uh, there may come some times when you might second-guess me. You might think that I'm leading you on a path that is absolute uh, death, but the truth of the matter is you can trust me as your guide. And so basically what he does is train them 
for the trip which is ahead. Now, Israel had no idea at the moment we read about in the Scripture that they were going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. That did not occur to them. Neither did they have any idea that everyone of fighting age who was alive at that moment would die before they got out of the wilderness and made their way into the land of Canaan. They had a big trip ahead of them. They just didn't know about it. And so now they've come across the Red Sea. They have in their minds fresh this memory of the Passover and their deliverance from Egypt, the, the incredible, amazing miracle of the dividing of the waters of the Red Sea and coming across on dry land and watching those waters as they closed over the Egyptian army. And they are fresh from a, what must have been an all-night praise service. And last Wednesday night I, I preached about singing. Someone said, it's a good thing you didn't sing about preaching. We've heard you sing. But I preached about singing because there's this wonderful song of Moses in the first several verses of the 15th chapter of our text this morning. Now is the morning after, and they're back on the road. And it's during these next several days that God gives them some basic training for the trip which is ahead. And I want you to look at the elements of this training because it's possible that there are some people here this morning who have somehow forgotten them or maybe you never learned these things. And it's quite possible that some of the glaring failures in your walk with God are based upon the fact that you never got this kind of training. And so this morning, we're going to look at this basic training for the big trip. What do I believe the Lord's saying to us through this passage? Well, let's look at it. Do you have your Bible open? First of all, I believe he's saying to us, you need to anticipate battles. You need to anticipate battles. There is a, a key truth here, which I hope you will write down someplace in your heart. And that is that a great spiritual experience does not exempt you from the rigors of daily living. Let me say it again. A great spiritual experience does not exempt you from the rigors of daily living. Now, Israel had just come through an incredible moment in their history. This 15th chapter and the chapter which precedes it record the thing about Israel for which they are most known in all the world. And that is the way that God made the waters pile up there on one side and the other of the Red Sea and how they walked across on dry land and those same waters swallowed up the Egyptian army and once and for all the children of Israel were freed from the bondage and from the slavery of Egypt. Even their pursuers now were gone. And we saw how that was a picture of how to sever the grip of a sinful past. But this was an incredible moment. It was so incredible that Moses burst out into song. And the song of Moses is the only song of a person we know of here on this earth which will be sung in heaven. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it says there they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. This was an incredible moment. And you would have thought that the next morning they would have gotten up and they would have said, now life is going to be smooth. Life is going to be sweet from now on. I mean, look what God has done for us. Man, this is going to be easy traveling. 
But what do we find? We find that when they get up in the morning, that Moses is saying, pack up, head them up, move them out, and they begin a journey, not just one day, not just two days, but three days into the wilderness, and now there is no water. And when they finally come to water, they say, well, our thirst is finally going to be quenched. They find that the water is bitter. And by the way, the word bitter there means more than it tasted bad. They could have endured that. This water had death in it. It was pestilential. To have drunk this water would have been to have died. And so the people begin to murmur. Now, now why do I say that great spiritual experiences do not exempt you from the rigors of daily living? Well, it's a simple matter of fact that many people believe that when God moves in their life in a special way, that life is supposed to become easy. Have you ever met someone who said, look, I can't figure this out. All these years, my wife, for instance, I had a businessman say this to me one time, my wife wanted me to trust in Jesus. And sure enough, I, I went to that crusade and I heard the evangelist preach about giving your heart to Jesus and God convicted me of sin and uh, I walked down that aisle and I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And I thought, man, life is going to be great. They speak about eternal life and abundant life and life with Christ. And I thought, life is going to be great. And then he turned to me and said, uh, uh, preacher, I want to tell you something. He said, my life has been a mess since that time. He said, you can't believe what's happening. He said, for instance, I dedicated my business to the Lord. And, and he said, my, I think things are going south. He said, the, the numbers look terrible. I, I asked him this question. I said, did you really give it to the Lord? He said, yes. I said, are there any things about your business that are ungodly, that you, uh, you know, some ungodly dealings that you incorporated before you were saved? He said, yeah. I said, well, God's putting the squeeze on you, buddy. He's, he said, if this is really my business and I'm going to get to run it, I'm going to squeeze it and make sure that everything in it that I can't bless is gone. He said, well, that makes a lot of sense, but he said, I, I thought life was going to get easy for me. And there are a lot of people who believe that trusting in Jesus or going off on a mountainside and praying and fasting and having God move in their lives in a marvelous way, having a meeting with God, that a great spiritual experience somehow exempt them from the rigors of daily living. No, it's not true. You still got to brush your teeth. You still ought to make up your bed. You still got to sweep the floor. You still got to fight the traffic. You still got to go to work. You still got to make ends meet, you see? You still got to do all of these things that are involved in life. A great spiritual experience doesn't mean that all of a sudden there's no more evil in the world. It doesn't mean that there's going to be no more temptation for you. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be no more tests, no more stresses, no more rigors in your life because a great spiritual experience does not exempt you from the rigors of daily living. Now, it gives you incredible power to meet them. The truth of the matter is you and I are going to be constantly fighting battles in one or all of four arenas. Let's look at these four arenas of battle. You see them right here in the Scripture clearly before you. First of all, we're going to be fighting the battle of discipline. We're going to be fighting the battle of discipline. They got up the next morning after this incredible experience and they found that they had to be disciplined. Okay, folks, head them up, move them out. Let's get with the program. We've got to work together. We've got to walk together. Now, you remember this is about 1.6 to 1.8 million people. So, folks, we've got a little journey ahead of us. It's not going to be easy. Three days at least. 
You mean we, we, we don't even get a, a day to celebrate the Red Sea experience? No, we've got to keep moving. And so there is the battle of discipline. Uh, let me see the whites of your eyes just for a moment. There is, um, there is this kind of fallacy which many people swallow down whole in our generation. You see, the, the, the theme song of our generation is, I don't have to wait for what I want. I don't need to wait for marriage, for sex. I don't need to wait for a job to spend. I don't need to have the money before I buy. Uh, I don't have to wait for what I want. Now, born out of that, there is this theological aberration that says, look, you just go to the right meeting, pow, you just get it some way, from then on everything's going to be great. You'll have everything you want. Everything's going to be absolutely great. You don't have to be disciplined. Now, I want to tell you something. Discipline is a requirement of the Christian life. This business of going on day after day, even when, it's, you know, when things are not great, when it's raining rather than the sun is shining. It's absolutely important that you be a disciplined person. And you're going to fight battles in the arena of discipline. They went three days in the wilderness. Secondly, you're going to fight a battle in the arena of delay. In the arena of delay. I was saying to a young couple uh, with whom I was counseling this week that maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. And so they went three days in the wilderness. They thought, okay, now we're going to get water. But they found no water. The discipline of delay. We don't like to wait, do we, for what we want. And then you're going to fight a battle in another arena, the arena of disappointment. You're going to say to yourself, okay, this is it. Finally, we've got it. Finally, they came to water, and the water was bitter. This must have been an incredibly disappointing time for them. And then you're going to fight battles in the arena of discouragement. The people begin to murmur. Now, the fact that you are saved, the fact that you have your sins forgiven, the fact that you're on your way to heaven... The fact that you may in recent days have met with God in a remarkable way and he may have blessed you, you may be living this moment in the fullness of the Spirit as the Bible commands us to live in absolute surrender to Jesus as Lord of our life. That does not exempt you from the rigors of daily living. What does it do for you? It gives you power for living. In the wilderness... There were battles in Canaan, which is where you can be in absolute surrender to the Lord. It doesn't mean that there are no battles. It just means it's you and the Lord fighting on the same side. But a great spiritual experience is not going to keep you from having to get up and go to work tomorrow or to school or to resolve that fractious situation or to be reconciled with that friend with whom you are, have had a falling out doesn't mean you're not going to get up and have to plow in the morning or water or plant. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to get up in the morning and apply yourself to the study of the Word of God. You see, God just doesn't come and give you an experience and then all of a sudden you have all knowledge, you have everything you need, and you can coast for the rest of your life. You are still going to have to face the rigors of daily living. 
And it was important for God to drill this into the head of the Israelites because for 40 years they were going to be going through some of the most miserable terrain on the face of the earth. And they needed to understand that during that time God could bless them mightily, but they still had to walk through that terrain. Anticipate battles. Lesson number two in Life 101, basic training for the big trip, avoid bitterness. Avoid bitterness. They came tomorrow, we read in verse 23. You can imagine there was this elation. People said, we found water. We found water. After three days, I mean, nothing would be more precious. This was more precious to them than food. We have found water. But when they got to the water, they discovered they couldn't drink it because it had death in it. Now, you read the word bitter here, and if it was just simply bitter water, they could force themselves to drink bitter water. I've been places where the water that I had to drink was not at all the kind of water that I would have chosen to drink. You know, maybe it had the high content of sulfur in it or iron in it or something like that, and I wouldn't have chosen to drink that water, but I could drink it, and it slaked my thirst, you know. Well, this wasn't simply bitter water. This was water in which there was pestilence. There was water, but this was water which dealt death to them. You will have in your life many moments which can end in bitterness. Every once in a while I'll meet someone who says, Brother Tom, let me explain to you why I'm so bitter. And then they'll begin to excuse their bitter behavior, their tight-lipped anger, their sulking, their pouting, their refusal to get along with someone else, they'll explain their bitterness, their, their lack of sleep, their staying up late at night and wondering how they're going to handle the person against whom they have this bitterness. And they will explain it and they'll say, now, now see, you'll understand why I have bitterness in my life. My response to people like that is always the same. If you are bitter it is because you have chosen to become bitter. You can't choose the circumstances of your life. Everybody in this world is going to meet people, is going to have experiences that could result in bitterness. You can't choose your life circumstances. You can choose how you respond to them. Inevitably, when somebody explains to me why they have bitterness in their heart, I can recall someone else who had the same things happen to them maybe ten times over, and yet they're not bitter. They're gracious, and they're loving, and they're kind, and they're generous. You see, they've chosen a different path. Now, here's something I want you to see. Bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness will destroy you. And the only way to avoid it is to bring Jesus into every situation of your life. Bitterness will destroy you. We have several physicians out across this auditorium this morning. I think they will tell you that there is good, sound, empirical evidence that people who have bitterness in their life 
are ultimately see the impact of that even in their own physical well-being. Bitterness will destroy you. Being angry, being mad, refusing to forgive. You say, well, wait a minute. Do you approve of what that person did? Forgiving is not approving of a misdeed. Jesus forgives us. He doesn't approve of sin. Forgiveness is not the same as approving sin. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It's wonderful to be reconciled with another individual, but if forgiving required reconciliation, then there, there are some people you could never forgive because they've already died and you could, you'll never see them on the face of this earth. Reconciliation is wonderful. Restitution is wonderful. But forgiving is a different thing. It's considering that that person no longer is indebted to you and you will never get there until you bring Jesus into the situation. Moses cried out to God, What do I do? We walked three days, we found water finally, and the water is bitter. How disappointing, how discouraging, what a delay. And God says there's an answer. And this is a beautiful picture of Jesus who one day hung on a tree after being tested in every point just like you're being tested. God showed him the tree and said, Put the tree in the water. And when he did, the waters became sweet. They became filled with life, not death. They became filled with life. And it is an, a wonderful picture of the fact that this Jesus who hung on the cross was tempted, the Bible says, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. There is nothing you will ever face that Christ did not already face. There is nothing you will ever face that Jesus did not already take to the cross. And the only way you're going to avoid bitterness is to bring Christ into that situation. And some of you right now, you're facing situations at work. Some of you are facing situations in your home, your relationship with your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. Some of you are facing experiences in your life. You say, I just don't think I deserve this. I just think this is so terrible what's happened to me. And you find this creeping anger, this resentment, this bitterness in your life. You've almost convinced yourself that nobody has had it ever in this world as bad as you've got it right now. You've convinced yourself that your situation, unlike all the other situations in the Scripture, that you have a peculiar situation and that you are somehow exempt from all the other principles of God and that you have reason, you have rationale for the bitterness that's in your heart. Listen, friend, that that bitterness will destroy you. People who are bitter at others have made a dungeon. This, this body, the Bible says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And people who do not understand that have made a dungeon in their heart. And they put individuals in it. Your body was never meant to be a dungeon. They bring them out. They slap them around for a while. And then they, then they stick them back down in their life. And it will, it will destroy you. And the only way you can get beyond that is to bring Jesus into every situation. Lesson number three, appropriate blessing. Appropriate blessing. I don't want to park here very long, but you'll see in the final two verses, 26 and 27, they came to Elam. How far was Elam from Mara? Listen to this. Less than half day's journey. 
just beyond this place where they were complaining so bitterly, there was Elam. The word Elam means palms. How many wells were in Elam? One well per tribe, 12 wells. They didn't all have to drink out of the same well. Every family had its own well. They camped, notice what it says, they camped by the waters of, of Elam. Plenty for everyone. How far was that from where they were so bitter? Less than a half day's journey. What are we saying this morning? It is important for you to learn to appropriate the blessings of God. How do you do that? Well, let's look at it. Write this truth down someplace in the margin of your Bible. All that you need is nearer than you think. All that you need is nearer than you think. I know that some of you here this morning, you have incredible need in your life. You're saying, it'll take me forever to find the answer to this. It's too much. It's too big. It's too burdensome. It's too awful. I'm too sick, uh, I'm too old, and, and you're thinking, you know, I have needs in my life, but the answer to those needs are so far away. Look at it again. All you need is always nearer than you think. Here they were grumbling, complaining. Less than a half day's walk, 12 wells available to them. Now, how do you get at that? How do, you, how do you get at that? Well, let's look at it just for a few moments. What's our responsibility? What's our responsibility? It's twofold. Really, it's just to listen and to do. Let's look at verse 26. He said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight. And then he says it again, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. Now, that's two ways of saying two things. Listen to God, do what he says. Listen to God, do what he says. That's the shortcut to the answer for whatever problem you have. That's the shortcut to the source. That's the direct line to the answer to your need. And all that you need is always nearer than you think. What is it? Listen and do. Listen and live. Hearken. Give ear. Live. Do. Keep his commandments. And what does he commit himself to doing? Well, here's God's response. He says, first of all, I will protect you. Verse 26, he said, if you're listening to me, seeking to do what I say, I'm going to see that you're protected during that time. He said, as a matter of fact, I'll put none of these diseases upon you, which I've brought upon the Egyptians. I'm the Lord who heals you. Not only that, I'll give you provision. Verse 27, there they came to Elam, 70 palm trees, 12 wells, and they camped by the waters. Appropriate blessing. Appropriate blessing. I've always defined the blessing of God as being a sovereign act by which he causes someone or something to supernaturally produce more than is naturally possible. Appropriate the blessing of God. Listen, Israel did not know it at this moment. They had not come to Beersheba, they had not sinned against God, they had not heard this sentence of 40 years in the wilderness, God knew, they didn't know. And I want to tell you that those 40 years in the wilderness were 40 hard years. But during those years, every time Israel obeyed God, God did something wonderful 
in their sight. And some of the greatest truths and the most wonderful principles we have came right out of those 40 years in the wilderness. It was there they received the Ten Commandments. It was there that the tabernacle was built. It was there that God moved mightily in their midst. Incredible blessings even in the wilderness. Appropriate blessings. Avoid bitterness. Anticipate battles. Until you learn those lessons, you're not ready for the big trip. Father in heaven, I pray, believing that the moments that you've brought us here this morning are moments you have intended because you want to impact our lives. I pray now, Lord, at this invitation time, your Holy Spirit would come down, move in power, Lord, I pray that you would find every one of us eager, anticipating, ready to receive and do what you've said to us. Now, Lord, I pray that we will hear your voice, that many will come. Lord, I pray at this altar would be those who will trust Jesus as Savior, others who would join this church, others who will simply come and kneel and say, Lord, I want to learn these lessons for the big trip. And Lord, I pray these things in your name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. In a few moments, we're going to stand. Our choir will be leading us in a song of invitation. I'm going to verbalize it, but really the invitation comes from God. It is extended to your heart. And dear friend, if you have never received Christ by faith as your Savior, if you never trusted in Him, found the forgiveness and cleansing of sin, know that when you die, you'll spend forever with Him in heaven. You can have that this morning in less time than it takes for me to tell it. For you see, Jesus died on the cross as payment for your sin. And Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. And Jesus will give you forgiveness and cleansing of sin if you will trust in him this morning. And I want to encourage you when we stand to make your way to an aisle, make your way forward, find a counselor, just simply say, I'm trusting Jesus this morning. I'm trusting Jesus this morning. Would you say that, dear friend? Would you open your heart to Christ? The counselors are here. They'll talk with you, pray with you, and you can know what it is to have abundant and eternal life in Jesus. I believe that there are those here this morning to whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of this very church. And God's brought you here and taught you here this morning, and this is your moment of invitation. And I would encourage you to come as an individual, as a family. Just step to the aisle. When we stand in a few moments, make your way forward, find a counselor here and become a part of this church. Join us in reaching around this world with the arms of God, sharing the gospel of Christ. What a wonderful day to make that decision. You may have some of the need. Counselors are here. Our prayer warriors will be coming to this altar. Counselors will be coming. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services. If we have not introduced you yet, we believe we've introduced almost everybody who's joined our church in recent days. If we've not introduced you yet, come and be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members so that we can introduce you to your new church family. Maybe you joined last week or, or uh, the week before. Well, I would encourage you to come. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. And Father in heaven, how we pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will move at this invitation time. We pray it in Jesus' name.